All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another fabulous episode of the Healthcare Trailblazers podcast. Super happy today to be sitting with the wonderful Dr. G. Uh, Dr. G is the chief medical officer at a small startup called uh, Salesforce with about uh, 75,000 employees. Dr. G has caught my attention for months on LinkedIn, um, doing a lot of really incredible work. And obviously, being the chief medical officer at, at an organization that size has got to come with its really exciting moments. I'm sure highs and lows and all, all in between. So I'm really excited to hear all about you, your career, and what you're doing. Dr. G, thank you so much for, for uh, spending time with us today. Well, Mendel, congratulations to you on this podcast. I feel very honored to be here as I look at some of the guests you've had on. So, so thank you. Absolutely. Um, so usually we start with, with you know, where'd you grow up and how'd you get into medicine? We're going to get to that, but let, let's jump ahead a little bit. What does, what is the job? What is, what is the, uh, the responsibilities of the chief medical officer at a company like Salesforce? What does that look like? Well, you know, it's really evolved because of the pandemic. I think folks in roles like mine have, have really evolved uh, during the pandemic and are now kind of in that I'm going to air quote the post-pandemic uh, piece. But essentially, it's an internal and, and external role. Internally, a lot of what I focused on, particularly during the pandemic, was really employee health, ensuring that we had the right protocols, um, actually building products that allowed us to execute on those protocols at scale. Really proud of some of the work we did with Safety Cloud in particular. And, and externally, working with um, our customers, working with our customers, ensuring their success. Again, we do have a health and life sciences business. So a big part of it is sitting across from chief medical officers at provider systems, pharma, uh, pharma companies, and, and really talking about our technologies like health cloud, uh, marketing cloud, essentially CRM uh, for healthcare and understanding where Salesforce, Salesforce's value prop is in the healthcare space. It's been a, it's been a terrific ride to be at a company like Salesforce doing really good work at a time when digital transformation couldn't be, couldn't be more important. Fantastic. Um, uh, that, that's really cool. So let's talk about the internals a little bit because, uh, definitely something that, that large companies have been getting better and better at is managing their own employees' health. Um, obviously there's gigantic companies and their whole job is to partner with companies like yours to offer programs to your patients and stuff like that. So, uh, as an employee at Salesforce, um, what kind of support does Salesforce give and, and, yeah, what does that structure look like? What what would I, what options and, and channels would I have? Is it mental health, physical health? What am I looking at if I'm an employee? So all of the above, right? We recognize that a happy, healthy workforce is critical to our success and critical to productivity. So we really expanded our benefits to meet the moment of, of the pandemic. One of those uh, indicators or one of those changes was really our expansion of telemedicine services, mental health services, and the ability to really make it part of our culture. I, I host a program called Be Well Together. I think you'd seen we had Sanjay Gupta on, we had Scott Gottlieb on, we had a number of luminaries in, in the in the healthcare space talking directly to our employees about everything from COVID to mental health uh, to vaccines to now RSV. So really trying to keep this as part of our culture, but also just trying to make our employees smart at the end of the day when there is so much misinformation and disinformation out there when it comes to your health. That's really awesome. Yeah. And I think, I think from the employee's perspective, it's got to be very, um, very comforting to, you know, if you're in an organization, you're not, I mean, Salesforce is Salesforce. It's not a, a healthcare organization, but to, but to have that level of kind of support on the health side seems to be really huge. And, and I'm sure your employees appreciate that a ton. A hundred percent. Again, it, it remains a priority for us and, and sort of was a reminder, I think for everyone, on the planet that the reprioritization of, of health is is necessary here and critical to productivity and, and happiness. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And did you come on? You've been there for a couple of years. Was it during COVID or before COVID that you came on? Just when COVID was starting. Oh, wow. So it, well, yes, I actually was onboarded uh, virtually. Got my Salesforce backpack. Seriously, um, didn't didn't meet a lot of my team until a year and a half later in real oh, life. Goodness. Anyway, so yeah, it was. Um, I I was part of that. Uh, part of that that onboarding and it was certainly very um humbling and you and we learned a lot we all certainly learned a lot and pivoted and were agile as we needed to be we, we got to dig into that a little bit. <laughs> what was that like to navigate new relationships because you're not just i mean you're the chief medical officer there's a bunch of people under you you've got a big team um you know you're you're directing you know programs that are having effect on literally tens of thousands of people what what does that look like to navigate that in a completely remote environment you know, I think we met the moment. Again, so many companies, right, had to go virtual overnight. And, and we experienced the same things that I think a lot of people did, which is, one, we actually found ourselves being accessible all the time. So we actually got to know um, our colleagues at all different parts of their life when they're doing drop up and pick up for school. They, they might be in their car. And honestly, we got to know each other a little better because often, uh, you know, pets would come in, children would come in. It was a different dynamic, but in some ways it was more personal um, than perhaps an office environment. And in other ways, you know, it, it's, it's certainly not the same as, as in person, but we're, we're definitely enjoying the hybrid environment we're in now, which gives a little bit of, of, of both. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I, 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 I'd imagine the marriage of the both finding that, that, that interesting balance is probably one of the silver linings that have come out um, of COVID. Um, Definitely. Very cool. Okay. <laughs> now that I, and we'll, we'll dig more into that, but let's, let's go back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up and why medicine? Sure. So I grew up in South Florida in a little town called Port St. Lucie. We lovingly call it Port St. Lousy, okay. um, me and my brothers. Um, uh, both my parents are, are docs, uh, both from India. And, okay. and really, I grew up I grew up in the doctor's lounge at the hospital. I grew up seeing both my mom and dad in action and really always wanted to be a physician, always wanted to be a teacher. Uh, actually, one of the things that I really appreciate about being a physician is, is Part of you know one of the qualities of being a good physician is being a teacher, and and a personal passion of mine around misinformation and disinformation is, you know, it's the best patients, the most empowered patients, you know, know 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 the facts, know the science, and and always lead to better outcomes. So I, I truly believe, if you are doing your job as a doc, you're also making your patients really smart um, and answering their their questions. And I think COVID showed us that more than more than ever. Yeah, I you know what I actually really appreciate that on a personal level. Um, literally today, this morning, before I was able to have this interview, um, I had to follow up with a specialist, and um, I I also was told to follow up with my PCP, and so I just mentioned to the specialist because the specialist was like, "All right, um, you know, go get some X-rays or whatever, and come back in a week." And I was like, "Oh, well, it's kind of a waste of my time because I'm also going to my PCP. Do I really have to go to both?" And he was it was really funny for me to watch because he was like really nice and really friendly, and then the second I just asked that question, like. I'm also following with, with my PCP. Is this both necessary or can I, he got like really offended. <laughs> like he seemed to get offended and like, didn't like that question. and was like, trust me, like I'm the guy for this. And like, like, you know, don't worry about it. But like, he didn't like, it seemed to me that, 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 you know, doctors obviously prefer that patients are just like, yes, yes, doctor. Yes, doctor. Don't ask me any questions. Don't, 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 you know, try to really understand. So I, I appreciate that, you know, you're pushing that um, to evolve the the role of a doctor to not just provide medicine and care but to actually educate the patient and it should should be a, like a safe space and an open space for a patient to ask a doctor a question i think that's probably fine 
For, for sure. And well, honestly, and technology brings that opportunity because you just t- touched on, you know, burnout and the idea that, you know, the average, average, average doctor's visit, average primary care visit is about eight minutes, once in six months. You can't cover a lot of ground. So it's not that docs prefer for patients to say yay and nay. It's that they're very focused on a care plan or a diagnosis or whatever it might be um, that the patient is there for. And they have limited time and limited ability uh, to take care of the issue. So I think that's some of the opportunities and, and certainly some of the things that we do here at Salesforce is whether it's virtual care, whether it's our, our marketing cloud technology or health cloud technology, being able to extend that visit, right? So even if you left the office, being able to say, hey, here's a short video on your new diagnosis of diabetes, lupus, whatever it might be. Um, if you have questions, feel free to make a virtual appointment. Uh, text us, you know, if, if something, you know, if you're experiencing one of these side effects. So the ability to extend that visit is really critical because there's only so much you can cover in, in eight minutes. This podcast is longer than an average patient visit. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. So, this, this doctor was in and out of there like a lightning bolt. I didn't even catch his name. Uh, I went back to schedule my follow appointment and they're like, and who saw you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't that's know. really unfortunate. And that's and that's what we got to fix healthcare. One of the reasons we need to fix healthcare for sure. Yeah. So um, I, I believe a passion of yours and you have a lot of experiences with telemedicine. Um, that was prior to COVID, right? Correct. Correct. So that, Everything accelerated during COVID. However. Yeah. So that's right. got to be really interesting <laughs> for you to watch the whole world just adapt and adopt into telemedicine. What was your uh, What was your passion about telemedicine before COVID and how did COVID amplify that or, or, or change that? So here's the reality. We as physicians have been doing telemedicine since the beginning of time. Okay. I, I remember being a resident, um, a fellow in rheumatology and would constantly get consults, particularly from people in rural areas. I remember this particularly was a call from the Midwest. It was an infant baby. Um, there was a concern for, for lupus, which, can, which at birth can sometimes cause a heart block. And this was a frantic family practice doc somewhere in the Midwest that just paged the rheumatologist on call at GW, which was me. And, you know, I said, can you send me a picture? Tell me what it looks like. This was back in the, you know, analog days of just, wow. just the phone. And, you know, we always helped each other out, whether it's physician to physician, whether it was uh, patient to doctor. I'm sure you've called your doctor in the middle of the night on a weekend, you know. So we've always done this. The difference was there was not the technology to support it, the regulation to support it, the reimbursement to support it. So COVID forced those floodgates open and it became finally part of the standard of care. I don't even think we should say telemedicine, right? It's, it, this is healthcare delivery. Yeah. It doesn't really matter where it is. You, you say you have to go to the bank. No one's asking you if it's your digital bank, the brick and mortar bank, right? So this is just the new way of, of doing medicine. And it is perhaps the only silver lining of, of COVID is that we were able to really leapfrog the things that have been keeping telemedicine back all right. of this time. Right. Are there any specific um, technologies that you're uh, a, a fan of? I mean, I see I see a ton of them. There's obviously bunches of them. There's like one that one that I saw that I think it's out of Israel called like Tito Care. I think it's called Tito Care. And, Tito Care, yep. Oh yeah, you're familiar? So they they send this package to patients' homes and it comes with like all these little pieces that have like really high intense cameras. And then that allows the doctor to be in the office and really see very clearly and you could do like a fully NT. Like what are some what are some interesting products or technologies that 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 you think fit into this, you know, good medicine, good care delivery model using technology? Sure. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan and I, and I always say this the best, and I say this with the product teams and I'm working with the product teams and we're trying to build a good product for the healthcare space. The best health tech products to doctors and nurses are invisible, right? Don't get in the way of the bedside manner. Don't make it too complicated. Tidal care is a great product. 
but you know, the more complex, the more complexities you put on the do it yourself mm-hmm. sort of um, environment, you lose or you, you, there's a lot of human error that can be introduced. So keep it simple, Sally, I like the kiss methodology. And the more invisible, the less intrusive, the more intuitive, you know, doctors love technology. The idea that doctors don't like technology is actually a misnomer. We love our stethoscopes. We love our CT scanners, our MRIs, Da Vinci surgery, um, r- robotics. I mean, our entire it, field is built on innovation. All of those innovations work within the workflow of a doctor, get us to the result we're looking for. Technology has unfortunately been implemented in such a way, particularly electronic health records, that those technologies were really done to doctors and to nurses. They weren't really, weren't really done with them. And I think this next era of digital transformation has to be done with the doctors and nurses, a real understanding of the workflow, a real understanding of what is the problem that the clinical team is looking to solve, and then how does technology make that easier, not introduce new steps and new workflows and new uh, new hindrances when we think about the workforce shortage and burnout uh, and where it is today. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, I think that you know, even talking to to some other leaders in the field, there's like this this disconnect between like the legislator and the people that are actually passing these laws and rules and regulations and and the actual medical community. Um, how do you think? What would you suggest so that doctors like yourself can have more influence and more say in? those decisions um, at the government level? Well, look, from a policy perspective, we need to make telemedicine a permanent part of the healthcare ecosystem. We need to ensure that that all of the regulations to support that, you know, state licensure, uh, licensure in, in different parts of the country are available and possible. I think continuing to work with physician organizations is really critical, whether it's the AMA, the American Diabetes Association, big tech vendors such as the Salesforce. Really important to make sure doctors are both at the table informing the policy, getting buy-in on the policy, and and the and the everyday nuances of what that will look like once rolled out. So I think just continuing continuing to make the doctor nurse um, stakeholder part of the 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 recipe making the baking and then the final tasting of the end product of, of a bill or policy is really critical absolutely you know tell um the rise of telehealth through COVID has been absolutely fantastic like like you mentioned a a not downside because it's not a downside but a challenge with it is that some of the populations that need it most simply don't even have internet um and it could be that they're just in real in really really rural areas where they literally don't have broad like they don't have broadband or they don't have Wi-Fi or or, or issues like that or it could be an affordability thing. Um, do you have any advice on how we can uh, not only I I think it's a no I I mean if I if I was the government I would I would say it's not, it's obviously a no brainer that that telemedicine and telehealth shit is is going to become permanent. Um, I think the effects and the, the benefits of it are obvious to everybody. Um, how do you think we could not only make it permanent, but expand it to some of those under, you know, served populations that actually need it most, but the challenge is the actual connectivity. They don't even have those. Do you have any, 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 any ideas there on how to fix that? Well, again, I, I, I won't pretend to be a policy expert, right? I'm just, just a, just a doc. Just in, a doc. Health tech. Dr. G though, but, that's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's critical. It's important. Infrastructure matters, right? With, without the infrastructure, we're sort of dead in the water. So the infrastructure matters. And, and I think continuing to scale that and ensure we're able to reach the places um, that we need to is, is essential, essential. Absolutely. Um, that was a fabulous answer, by the way. <laughs> that was great. Um, 
let's talk about uh, how many uh, Salesforce, the actual employee footprint. It's it's global, right? I mean, correct. Yeah. So how do you deal with? Um, I mean, even in our country, there's so many demographics and so many, and 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 the way that that you know care delivery happens is going to change based on that. From your seat, all the way at the bird's eye view of of um, of Salesforce, how do you go about navigating the challenge of getting employees in different areas the care in the way that would suit them best? So you know, I think that's a challenge for for any any global multinational company. But you know, it's it's really again being mindful of, of, of various cultural norms, being mindful also of different regulations in different regions. But it's it's a challenge. It continues to be a challenge. And uh, again, we think particularly through COVID, really rose to the moment. Yeah, absolutely, definitely seems so. And and again, I I, I see you a lot. You're doing you're doing a lot of 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 um, public facing content, which is really awesome. Um, it's always nice to see people in your position actually taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to do things like this, do podcasts and do interviews and get on the news. And, 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 and so you're obviously very passionate. Um, what are some of those other leading causes that you feel very strongly about um, aside from telehealth? So again, misinformation and disinformation. I think we continue to live in this, this era where it's really informing the way we think about our health. Yeah. COVID was just the kicker, but this has existed in healthcare forever, whether we're thinking about vaccines, whether we talk about HIV, mental health, uh, the different stigmas around mental health. So I think it's really important and critical that that healthcare has been reprioritized in our society, but that people think about getting smart, right? And and from a public health standpoint, you know, the, the messenger does matter. The messenger always mattered, right? If you're a woman, you generally want to see a, a female physician. Um, if you're If you're Black, you want a messenger that also looks like you and talks like you and comes with your cultural background, same with if you're Asian, same with if you're Latin. So I think it's important from a public health perspective that we're realizing that that sort of science needs a PR campaign and that these things can go a long way. And the providers out there, the pharma companies out there, the retailers out there that understand that have a real opportunity here. You know, in, in healthcare, we say it's patient education. In business, we say it's marketing. But marketing and healthcare is really patient education. And I think if you're smart and you understand who your consumer is and with the right technology, that's very easy. Personalizing those messages, personalizing those journeys and creating the trust, that's ultimately what the consumer is looking for, ultimately what the patient is looking for. And then the loyalty follows, right? The loyalty follows and you're not sort of going to be distracted by an influencer or your hairdresser or someone who perhaps just doesn't have the right credentials when it comes to things that have high stakes, things that have that have high stakes. Um, and, and so I think we've learned and, you know, the Surgeon General for the first time even put out the, the warning on misinformation and disinformation. It's, it's quite dangerous, but I do think there is a place for technology to both help and hurt. And the companies that are smart about it can actually use it as a part of their building trust and loyalty with their consumer and their patients. So I take it you're not taking diet advice from the liver king. <laughs> you know, I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever did. But but I, I understand the appeal. And, and that's what it is. The appeal is that you, you find someone that is, is reachable, talks like you, thinks like you, looks like you. I, I definitely understand definitely that. Definitely doesn't and look so like I, me, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's powerful. It's, it's powerful. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's okay to acknowledge that. But then how do you how do you get smart about it? How do we get smart about it from a public health perspective and from an industry perspective, and even from a business perspective, 
there's a market you want to dominate, well, then, you know, recognizing this is one of the issues of the day and the challenges of the day. And how do you conquer that? Right. Absolutely. Um, employee burnout is obviously something that's becoming more and more prevalent as we put a focus in across the country and just generally um, on mental health and on doing a job that you that you feel is fulfilling and not just working to drink beer on the weekend, so to speak. Um, I think employee burnout is, you know, becoming more more pronounced. Um, what are some things that you guys are doing over at Salesforce to um, to help with that for your employees? So look, so look, you know, I think I, I think burnout in general has been again one of the issues of the day uh, during the pandemic. A lot of that blending of the home work life, trying to really set boundaries, trying to set a culture where health is important, and being able to also say no. Um, when it is 10 p.m. at night in your time zone, right? We're also all in different time zones. Right. Making those mental health resources available, talking about these things, sharing a lot of this as leaders. I'll, I'll tell you that from a transparency standpoint, we had all hands calls every week during the pandemic. And we, would, wow. we would say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty tired. I'm pretty burnt out. And I'm having to do three meals a day for my family, plus work, plus um, everyone barges through my my door. That still happens to me, um, and it and it it can be overwhelming. And so I think acknowledging that and being transparent, we're continuing to learn. I, I think like everyone, we're continuing to learn. But these are some of the things that we've um, we've tried to foster and, and build. Yeah. Now you mentioned hybrid before. Are people are is is that the direction you guys have gone in? Are people now kind of back at the office some of the time? Is it fully an optional? It's- it's it's naturally happening. I, I think a lot of teams are really excited to be back together. Um, sometimes you come back into the office, half the team is missing. So I think different teams are finding their way and finding their way to create an ecosystem where there's sort of like a day or two days a week that they're meeting or they're surrounding a particular event. But it is something that I, I think everyone is still um, seeing uh, how, it, how it plays out this year, but definitely acknowledging that there is more of a hybrid environment than before. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you're, you're obviously super accomplished, young, doing a ton of really interesting things. Um, what are some, if you could, if you could, uh, what, what would you say is the, is the, the number one challenge in healthcare? And if you could affect it in a positive way, what would you do? So I think the number one challenge in, in healthcare from a, from a delivery standpoint is the workforce burnout and workforce shortage. We just simply do not have enough doctors, do not have enough nurses and and we've disillusioned those those students with the amount of debt the the way so many um healthcare professionals were treated during the pandemic both good and bad and so i think we have to kind of kind of dig deep figure out from a cultural standpoint where where healthcare is in in this country and certainly with with election potentially coming up but from an infrastructure standpoint this is the time when technology becomes that much more important because when you have two people doing the job of 10 people, how do you scale that, yeah. right? And, and that continues to be where, where providers, pharma companies, med tech companies are investing to say, yep, we, we recognize there's a shortage. So how do we make that one or two uh, doctors or nurses scale? And the only way you do that, right, is through technology, automating the things that you can, using AI technologies to help the, the person on the other end be smarter or do something faster. And then really leave that that high touch and that human thinking for the areas that are needed. But but definitely health tech is that much more important in this environment than it ever was. But with with what we said in mind at the beginning, which is doing it with the doctor and nurse for workflow in mind and understanding exactly what the problem is, as opposed to just throwing a different throwing different technologies um, on when it's not necessary. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So touching on AI, yeah. So it sounds like you're you're a fan of trying to include that to take burden off doctors at least. Yeah. Hundred percent. And it, again, the, the keep it simple Sally methodology, right? It can be a simple chatbot doing triage, which is a lot of what our customers ended up doing uh, during the pandemic. Simply, do you are you short of breath? Do you have a fever? You know, what's your pulse ox? And yep. you know, so simple algorithms can take a lot of that burden off, right? So that's on the front end of care. And then of course, particularly in oncology and radiology, we're seeing there's all kinds of progress being made around diagnostics, being able to do diagnostics so much better than the human eye or the human uh, human brain. And so just, you know, continuing to evolve that technology, but there is a lot of potential there. And so maximizing that, understanding that all while being culturally sensitive with, with ethical use is, is critical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it really is fabulous. I know, I know ChatGPT is like super hot button topic right now. I, I literally use it every day. It is phenomenal. And it, it, it's one of those things that you, you like poke your head through this other, like this other reality. And you're like, and then now it's just normal to me that I can ask this thing to do all these tasks for me. I, I cannot tell you how impactful it is on, on business. Obviously, you know, the benefit for me is that I don't have a bunch of regulations to, to, uh, to, to, to deal with in order to, to implement that. I just tell it to do things and it does things and I move on. Um, but it, yeah, if we could, if we could, it absolutely can help doctors in healthcare. And I think, um, I think there's like this consensus where, yes, on the one hand, the EHRs are super important and documentation is super important and making sure that everything is coded correctly. But but all that is right now burdened on the doctor and that can really, you know, be taken off and alleviated by by leveraging, you know, AI. It's it's really mind blowing what it does. I don't know if you've messed around with it or I'll have you. I have not. I have not. I've certainly heard a lot about it and it's certainly on my to-do list, but I have not. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, really, yeah, very awesome. Well, look, Dr. G, um, you're, you're very busy. I know you've got a bunch more engagements today and I really appreciate you sitting with us. Um, if, uh, people want to find you, I know you're definitely all over LinkedIn doing a lot there. Um, where else can people access your content and, um, your message? Thanks, Nandal. Again, I appreciate the invitation. You know, I'm, I'm very easy to find on Twitter. I'm at G Nair on Instagram. I'm Dr. Geetha Nair. LinkedIn is, is pretty obvious and, and, and Facebook as well. And I, I look forward to continuing the conversation and maybe circle back, circling back later in the year and seeing where we're at. Absolutely. I'm excited to do that. Doc, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Nandal. Be well.